Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 88 of the Double Dog Cast. Today is Sunday, January 14th, 2024. My name is Victor Lee, joined as always by Derek DeVera. Derek, you still hanging in there, man? Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Sugar Bowl champs. Sugar Bowl Club. champs. Yeah, what a... Oh, I that's the last thing I paid attention to, and then I sort of disappeared. So catch me up. What what has happened since a huge defeat against Texas, 37-31? Michael Penix just laser beams. So fun. I think you might have heard, you know, uh, five-star point guard Zoom Diallo committed to UW. <laughs> Fantastic. Five stars. Yeah, yeah. And the Husky basketball team has sort of been wandering a little bit through the wilderness with a two and four record in conference play. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. things are looking stable and up for you, Doug. Yeah. So, uh, Derek, uh, the national championship game happened last Monday in Houston, Texas. And um, I'm sorry to report that the dogs lost 34 uh, to 13. Yeah. I know. I, I was there. With you okay. watching, yeah. All right, um, bit, bit is over. I, <laughs> I know everything that has happened, but it is just wild, man. Yeah, like, there's just so much to process and digest. But yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. So you know, Derek, in my prep for this last week, I thought that this episode it's going to be an all timer. That's how I felt, and yeah. unfortunately, it's going to be an all timer for so many other reasons than I had penciled in. As you had mentioned, uh, let's recap the two games and then talk about just the ridiculousness that has happened in the last six days. So as you had uh, alluded to, Washington played in the Sugar Bowl for the playoff semifinal, knocking off Texas 37 to 31 in an absolute thriller of a game. Probably shouldn't have been as close as the game was, as the score indicates. But yes, absolutely. Michael Penix and the offense just dominant, just absolute dots by Penix and the receivers are just amazing. You know, it had every bit just kind of the showcase piece for for UW. They go up by nine points, kicking the field goal to go up 37-28. And then things got weird as, you know, Texas got the field goal to cut it down to the six-point lead. And then UW gets the onside kick. And then ridiculousness happens with the three runs. And then Dylan Johnson gets hurt and it forces timeout. And, you know, all of the, the drama that led up to Texas's last drive where they drove all the way down to the 12-yard line with a shot at the end zone, but would go no further. Elijah Jackson and the SWAT pushing the Huskies into their first championship game in the playoff era and their most realistic chance at a national title in 31 years or 32 years. And maybe you can even argue that, I don't know, it's probably the closest they've ever been since 2000, probably, if the BCS weren't a thing. But unfortunately, they met their match against the Michigan Wolverines. 34-13 is a score that both flatters Michigan and doesn't flatter the way that they played at all uh, last Monday. They were just dominant on the, on the line against the Huskies and the offense. Really, disappearing act isn't the right word, but they just did not hit the plays that were in front of them. Just didn't quite do the simple things, too, to make it easy on themselves. And I think you and I had sort of felt, too, that, you know, they had to have played a perfect game against Michigan to have a chance of winning the championship. And, and the offense, the biggest strength of the team just did not perform that function. And the defense held out until their hands couldn't hold out any longer. So the Huskies finished number two in the AP poll and the coaches poll. Everyone's riding this great wave of momentum, just feeling so proud of Husky football. And, you know, it didn't end with a championship like we had all hoped for, but 
you know, this is the thing that hopefully creates a new generation of fans. There's a great coaching staff in place. And then, Derek, there were just seismic shifts in the football world, college and professional. Wednesday, it was announced that uh, Pete Carroll was stepping down as the head coach of the Seahawks, moving into an advisory role, whatever that means. He doesn't even know quite what it means. Nick Saban also retired on that same day. So basically two you know, colossal figureheads of football overall were moving on to either retirement or practical retirement, at least at the moment. And then Bill Belichick entered the same phase, you know, a day or so later. But relevant to the Huskies was news that with the vacancy at Alabama, could that impact UW? And as it turns out, it did, as Kalen DeBoer has left Washington to go to Alabama. Just the, <laughs> just the second time in school history where a coach has voluntarily left the program to go be a coach elsewhere. And obviously the first time since Steve Sarkeesian left for USC uh, almost a decade ago. And the reverberations of just how quickly this happened were pretty insane because he had gone from being sort of an outside candidate, just, you know, a person that you might put on the list just for how much he's won. And now all of a sudden he's Alabama's coach. He was introduced yesterday. Sounds like he's taking a good amount of the staff with him. DeBoer leaves Washington 25-3 and overall head coaching record and a one magical season behind the Huskies. But man, just the the carnage that has been left in the wake of of his departure, uh, a fractured recruiting class, a fractured roster. It was a real messy 48 hours from when his signing was made official on Friday to today when the Huskies announced themselves that they had gone through the exercise of a 48-hour coaching search and have pulled Jed Fish. Fish! Big fish! The coach at University of Arizona is coming up to Seattle and potentially will be bringing a number of his offensive coaches, but um, has some defensive coach spots to fill. All of that is just such a whirlwind. We can talk about so many pieces to start, but Derek, I, I want to first go here and just give endless praise for just how special this 2023 team is, and the players on that team. I think we're going to look back on this team as just legendary squad you know if there were ever like a an ncaa football game where you could pick historical squads which will never be because that's too many players to sign but 2023 washington would be up there for fans of of this team because what a magical ride this was and Penix and odunze mcmillan just like all these people that we're going to remember eddie ilifoscio i think they we need to give them so many flowers just to start yeah I mean, I think to start and end and middle, I think all the off-field coaching change, structural chaos after the national title game, unfortunately, just taints a little bit of just the processing and the, the, the flower throwing of this season, just because it happened so quickly. It, it was so jarring. I, I loved were almost just glazing and over and just felt like a notebook throwaway of we're number two in the AP poll. We finished number two, the highest ever in a, in a very long time, mm-hmm. second best team in the country. I think even just not being able to process how amazing that UW Texas Sugar Bowl matchup was 
all the lead up to the national title game, Michael Penix, I think, is just going to be a legend. The throws he made in that Sugar Bowl, ball placement, just... I don't think we're ever going to see a string of seven, eight, nine throws that were amazing. And, and I think that's why it hurts so much to watch the national championship game against Michigan, where he just wasn't as sharp. It, it didn't happen. And unfortunately mm -hmm. they put it all out there. Dylan Johnson, Michael Penix, they were hurting all guys. All the guys were, were nicked up and, I think it was just a testament to how tough this team was and how the defense made plays. They hung in with Michigan. I know the score looks lopsided, but they didn't quit. And I think you look at all the single score or one score games that we finished up, you know, beating Texas, beating Oregon twice, so many monumental championship moments where they delivered they executed and i think mm -hmm. there was just so many thrilling games overly stressful yes but they did it winners win and i think the fact that they won for so long you know is something especially in college football where it's such a week-to-week -week focus such a week-to-week -week brand mm -hmm. having michael Penix come back setting the tone of what a collective group could be and you know i know we're going to talk about the coaches and and you know it's still very raw and you know we're all still processing but the fact that you can collectively bring you know 85 plus guys together get through injuries get through some subpar play get through different parts of the schedule the gauntlet of november different styles the toughest schedule that anyone has played and then to just deliver their first college football playoff victory is you know as as we go further into time we're going to really look back at this special time and as you said just so much praise on the players a lot of them moving on to bright futures but it's great to be able to have a common through line and, and a common thread of they were University of Washington Huskies and they were committed and uh, so proud of the season and the team and just so happy to enjoy that experience and ride. That's all I could say really about the team, the players who, who made it happen. And just, I, you know, I also have to add, you know, Braylon Trice, ZTF. I mean, those were names that, you know, on this very podcast that we had been talking about back in 2020 when we were podcasting through the pandemic and Troy Fautanu, Dylan Johnson too became like a legend in a year. Uh, the the list goes on and on and it's it's a special team. I think especially too is just like you said kind of processing the emotions and the feelings of DeBoer leaving. I mean you have to give it up to the players ultimately who are the ones who are out there sacrificing the most and and making the magic happen. I don't think I'm ever going to love a group of wide receivers as much as this group. They they were my ideal realized in terms of great blockers, great strong hands, speed. They had different style to them. And the fact that they could collectively do their parts from Jalen Polk to Jeremy Bernard, Jalen McMillan, obviously Roma Dunze, and all of them just having their own personalities Top it off with Michael Penix, who I think is going to be 
seen as the greatest Husky of all time, greatest quarterback up there for mm-hmm. sure. And the you know, O-line that delivered Joe Moore, I'm glad they got that award. It, it was fun when they were really rolling against Oregon to see them. And, you know, I know we've mentioned Dylan Johnson so much already, but I, I just have never seen someone put their body on the line, especially being a transfer, coming in and just like really – belonging and and carrying the team in so many different ways and there's just so much praise that can be heaped on them over and over and over and i I don't think it'd be enough Mm -hmm. yeah and and you know he really wasn't necessarily supposed to be the guy you know he was supposed to be the the backup until cam davis was out with the the season-ending injury and you know he played hurt the entire year i you know i think every commentator who had a UW game had to mention it that he'd been playing hurt practically the entire season. He didn't have a pain-free day, and yet he he clocked in and clocked out. And he just some of the biggest performances by him were just absolutely grinders of of games. And you can't say enough about just how much he meant to this team too. Just pass blocking, running tough, oh, running through the alleys. One, one of the best pass pro performances outside of Marshawn Lynch, where you mm-hmm. can see how clutch and crucial picking up a blitzer to, to get a big explosive play. And, you know, I think the casual average fan may not see it, but I think, you know, just seeing a running back at the college level understand the nuances of that game, I think, is just really fun to see. And it just shows that when you do your job at such a high level, a lot of times it, it becomes so default and just second nature. And I think those elements, a lot of people are going to forget throughout all the hoopla of everything else. But yeah, here I am just gushing about pass protection. Also want to shout out my favorite tight ends, Jack Westover, Devin Culp. I, I just think just collectively this offensive side, I know I've just gushed about the offense and, and yes, you appropriately shouted out the defense, but what a team. I think we could go through the roster line by line of, of key moments for everyone. And just to collectively have that be a memory is something that we shouldn't forget. And I know it's, it's very easy to just think about, okay, what's the next big story. But um, unfortunately we, we didn't have enough time to really process and reflect on on this team and i hope we take more moments to do that because i i, I think it's well deserved hopefully with the nfl draft coming up we can kind of slowly do that uh, obviously into the offseason goaded this team absolutely one one to remember all righty derek now we have to get into the most dramatic portion of the show which <laughs> is DeBoer leaving and what it means for washington and you know, there's been a lot of discussion and you and I have been messaging each other offline and just a lot of thought and think pieces written about how crazy it is for, you know, Washington to be viewed as the stepping stone. And, you know, the the whole process, too, where DeBoer had a contract extension on his table and then didn't sign it. And then Nick Saban retires and both he and DeBoer are represented by the same agent and you know, the the timeline of events and people are trying to impute whether the the meetings for, for this ventral 
you know, jump over to Alabama happened beforehand? Did it impact the title game performance? I think obviously much of that is sort of moot now, but it is pretty wild to see that, you know, especially with Alabama who had kind of their top four targets, it seemed like Oregon's Dan Lanning, Texas's Steve Sarkeesian, Florida State's Mike Norvell, all of them said no or something along those lines. All of them, you know, at least two of them got raises out of it. So there was at least at least enough noise to make their institutions kind of lock them up and make the the threat go away. And then for UW, supposedly was willing to double DeBoer's salary and commit to infrastructure improvements and, you know, all of the things that, at least from a monetary standpoint, seemed like it would be in the same ballpark as as Alabama. And yet he's off. He's taken, you know, I think much of the staff over. Uh, we'll get into the Ryan Grubb thing as well. But where does UW fit into this kind of new new look of college football? Because, you know, I think for a long time we've we've wanted UW to reestablish itself as a national power. And it felt like we were there. We were the talk of college football for at least a month and a half. And now it's we the Huskies are still a talking point for completely different reasons. And, and part of this domino effect with coaching searches and coaches jumping. How, do, how have you been processing this whole you know, 72 hour cycle? Yeah, I I think if we zoom out, it's, it's a huge macro indictment on the direction of college football. And, you know, I know that's nothing new. People have talked about that. But it is telling that this happened during the season where the Pac-12 collapsed and everyone and every institution and every school had to sort of figure out what their best interest was, specifically in the Pac-12. UW jumping to the Big Ten with Oregon, uh, joining USC and UCLA. I think all of this is driven definitely by profit. That's nothing new. Definitely by just bigger, larger forces. I think to your question of where does UW fit into this, yeah, we're we're in the national conversation around this big machinery of college football, and yet we're not the elite blue blood tier one bucket of schools. I mean, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Texas, they're they're gonna dominate the brand of college football and I think as we shift uh, the dynamics of what conferences look like, of course, the players, the coaches are going to be figuring out how to strategically improve themselves. And I think what was so gut-wrenching about Kalen DeBoer's move, and I always process these coaching changes in reverse, I think sometimes in in processing of grief, where I immediately go into (laughs) acceptance. (laughs) <laughs> immediately i'm like okay it makes sense yeah he's earned it you know his his stock is high of course why you know you get a call to do alabama of course you you would try to make that happen and then as we get into the deeper details it just is gut-wrenching to sort of look back about all of the Rah, rah, we love each other. This is about us, collective. And then just know that all of that can just be thrown out the window because you're chasing this other shiny thing. And I think ambitious, competitive people, I think Helen DeBoer is a climber. I think he's a, a decent guy who, who means well. And 
there is such a gut punch to feel like, ah, was that all just this performative show? And Mm-hmm. You couldn't help but feel for players, like especially with how he came into UW, where Jimmy Lake, that experiment obviously didn't work following Chris Peterson, who I know other outlets have said this, but I think his legend grows in terms of how he built a culture and institution that's lasting. He's still around the university. He's still thought of as a high integrity person. And he retired, you know, pretty abruptly and and just figuring that out. And Kalen DeBoer was coming from that same school of thought and same direction. People talked about how similar they were. And I just can't help but think, like, Chris Peterson wouldn't make such a shrewd, ruthless move like this. And that's just the nature of the sport. And I think Mm processing-wise, UW is coming to grips with, okay, resource-wise, yeah, we probably could have, and we probably did match the salary yearly thing, but there's a lot of other intangible pieces that almost don't have a price tag to. Resources, Mm -hmm. you know, behind-the-scenes programs, nutrition programs, practice facilities, just the capital projects around football and People forget that we're still a research public institution. We don't have a big anchor like Phil Knight, who is just spending money and basically funding Oregon. And Mm -hmm. there's so many of these brands and deeper alumni pockets that I think for UW, it's hard to come to grips with of, uh, no matter how close we were to the national title, we're still not going to be quite there. And being a tier two, highly respected program is still great. And we could still compete for championships, but there is such a gap to get to that top 1%. And so, you know, I could go on and on about Mm -hmm. uh, the the macro level here, but those were sort of my takes these past 72 hours this past week. I know you and I have shared similar thoughts, but anything else to add on, on sort of how you're processing? I think people who looked at DeBoer leaving and felt betrayed about it, I get why. I mean, I think everyone hopes that their coach and their institution is just a little bit cleaner and better than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. I was I was listening to the Christian Cable Daniel O'Neill podcast, and you know they they had mentioned too that. DeBoer is very confident in himself, obviously. You have to be just sort of maniacal and and confident in a way that most people aren't to go succeed a legend of not only Alabama, but of college football as a whole. I mean, the guy has won what six national championships at Alabama, and he won one with LSU in an era where it's very hard to do that. And, you know, he has all of the all of the potential to or all of the resources to do that. We and I were talking about the concept of soft power in college mm-hmm. football and, and that kind of influence and access to non-tangible resources is, is he's going to get all of that at Alabama that, that he may not have access to up here. And that's the part I think that sucks is because it, you can't replicate that kind of soft power, you know, with financial resources, it can help you, but it doesn't get you there all the way. 
and even just things like recruiting grounds, right? The the top five recruits in Washington, Oregon, and I'll include, I guess, what, Idaho, Montana, you know, this the, the true Pacific Northwest, like they're never going to be as as good as the players who are getting playing in, in Texas and Florida and all, you know, Georgia and all these like football academies that are basically being created out there. So in that respect, I, I get why he left and it's again it's quite a gamble history suggests that he will not be able to make it just on how hard it is to replace a legend but i i don't chide people for trying to reach and you know ambitions that they have and especially too for a guy like him it's pretty remarkable that he won as quickly as he did and it is now ascended to one of the brightest lights and one of the most powerful jobs in all of college football he was a coordinator in 2018 and now he's head football coach at Alabama six years later. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you write down on, like, your dream board or whatever, if mm-hmm. if you have something like that. So that in itself is pretty remarkable. I mean, to what it means for UW, yeah, it is sort of like uh, we are sort of chopped liver in some ways, and, and that's an unfortunate reality. And yet, like you were saying, you know, the capital projects that have to be paid and you know, there's their budgetary concerns. The whole move to the Big Ten was a reaction partly born out of the fiscal hole that that the university finds itself in. And it is pretty funny to think that, you know, the two people who moved that or drove that car to make that push into the Big Ten, you know, Jen Cohen, the former athletic director, and Kalen DeBoer are not going to see it themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people, too, that I've, I've been reading on, on message boards and such, you know, feel like this is sort of like the the veil falling from what is supposed to be kind of a, an amateur sport kind of thing and turning into semi-pro. I think it was already there long ago and people just refused to see it in, in the same way that I think they may have refused to see UW as anything but a, a, a blue blood. And, yeah. and now, yeah. and now that's gone and kind of the facade, I guess of that, of that image is over. And it's not to say that, that Washington can't be a great place and it can't be a consistent power. But I mean, we're probably somewhere in between the top 15 teams that can always be there nationally. And we're in some kind of like a tier two, like you were saying, but it's like a tier two with history. It's like a Nebraska. It's like a, a Minnesota or something like that. It's a, it's a school that has had, and has won before, but is, it's hard to recapture that kind of consistent glory. Yeah, yeah. I I think college football is tough in that there's so much natural history to like look back to, and in a lot of ways, it's like that stuff doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. a completely different game. How you played it in 1991 or 87, it's a different game, and there are different power brokers it's still the same sort of formula of course there's like boosters of course there's you know money talks and it and it wins but it's just at such a egregious level and it is just so hard to put the toothpaste back into the tube here Mm -hmm. i think what is frustrating too is folks thought that this appearance in the national title game was the beginning versus the end for Mm -hmm. Kaysabore. I think there's such a relief to feel like, oh, we found someone that can just build 
the UW brand. And I think he was in a lot of ways taking it to the next level from Chris Peterson of, and Chris Peterson did that for himself from Boise state to UW. Mm-hmm. And, and then now I think people anointed Kalen DeBoer because of his just incredible start in his first two years of this is the beginning. Mm-hmm. And candidly, we were talking about next year was going to be a step back, regardless of whether Kalen DeBoer was head coach or not. Right. The roster was going to change. I think a lot of people have given a lot of praise to Penix in terms of he was that catalyst that kept this team together. Him saying he was coming back last year, mm-hmm. whether or not Kalen DeBoer really pushed it or not, he he did that, and then everyone followed. And getting that team together and stick together, there was no person that sort of jumped ship and decided, no, I'm going to go to the NFL. So it was just a special recipe of you had veteran players. These were mature guys who were not just fifth year seniors. They were six year seniors because they got an extra year from the COVID year. Right. These were basically semi-pro. They were NFL guys that were going through minor league reps, like just logically they weren't needing to go to class because they graduated. And so it was a training <laughs> ground to sharpen your craft. And it looked like it was Kalen DeBoer's magical hand doing it. And yes, I, I know I'm, I'm sort of in this reactionary mode trying to discredit that, but mm-hmm. there's also just an element of, there wasn't another Michael Penix coming in. Sure. Will Rogers and, and other transfers who are now in the portal could be that bridge but there was still such a steep fall off and i think what's frustrating is that you look at kalen DeBoer's resume and his career of these like two year stops more recently where you know fresno state he, he wasn't there for very long and then he springboarded that here mm-hmm. and i think the program building model is just going to be very very different now i I don't think there's a four to five year plan of college football with the transfer portal it's can you build a good enough roster for a two-year window maybe three years and then can you strike you know something magical in that moment and i think halen DeBoer Mm -hmm. has done that and now let's see what he's going to do in alabama Mm -hmm. and i think too you and I kept referring to the phrase a clean break. It is sort of nice with DeBoer moving on that his two seasons here get preserved in amber in some ways. And we'll just look at back at it being like, wow, the team really won a lot. Wasn't that such a fun ride? Like Michael Penix is throwing darts left and right. And, you know, the offense so explosive after the whole Jimmy Lake disaster the two years prior. It uh-huh. It's going to be nice to not have to go through a, a, a Mike Hopkinsian situation where you know, he was so, so amazing to start and then potentially took a step back. And then people are grumbling about that. That also might have been reason why he went down to Alabama, too. And like you were saying, too, with Chris Peterson, and I've heard this reference more than a handful of times. He's the perfect kind of coach for the ideal college system because his interests always aligned with the school's interest and therefore the fans' interest. He never went looking for another job because he didn't want to. He easily could have, but he liked where he was. He didn't want to fight the media in in a different media market or move his family and all this stuff. And 
that's like a rare thing where it works out. And again, uh, Cable and uh, Danny O'Neill, they talked about like the inverse of this with a school being self-interested is when Romar got canned. Like, mm-hmm. do you think Romar was going to go anywhere else in his career? Yeah. So, you know, that's that's where that kind of whole discussion sits. We all want, you know, a self-interested coach to have the same ambitions as we do. And therefore, the interests overlap perfectly. And it rarely is going to be that case. And I think, too, as we start transitioning to talk about Chet Fish and the new coaching staff, I, there's going to be that same discussion of what is what do you think his interests are relative to the schools and, you know, what can we start seeing about a little quick on about the coaching search that happened in the 48 hours. There were at least four names that I think were bandied about that people were, were pretty excited about, or at least, you know, didn't hate. And so the state of Kansas coaches, so Kansas coach Lance Leipold, I I kept thinking his last name was Leopold and I was really ready for a bunch of Leopold. Uh, There's like an old Looney Tunes. I still think it's Leopold. (laughs) Leopold, Leopold. There's there's an old uh, Looney Tunes one where Bugs Bunny's a conductor, and the conductor, I guess, he's taking over for named Leopold. So I was really ready to uncork a very, very specific Looney Tunes reference. Yeah, so Lance Leipold uh, was a name being thrown out. Chris Kleiman from Kansas State. Both of them uh, were contacted, but both of them reaffirmed their commitment to the schools. Ryan Grubb, I think everyone thought he might interview for the job, and he did, and then announced last night in a post on X that he was not uh, selected as a, as the next head coach at Washington, which given his, his very straightforward banner, like you had mentioned, not surprising that he sort of went out of his way to tell people that it was just very interesting that he stated that so publicly as, as you would have figured that would have been just something to keep close to the vest. Instead, as mentioned before, the Huskies selecting Jed fish formerly at Arizona. And you talk about a guy who's also had a pretty, uh, a pretty busy coaching history. Jed Fish, very much like DeBoer, having bounced around college and the pros, hadn't really stayed at a spot for too long, but has kind of worked his way up the coaching ladder. It's taken Arizona from probably one of the worst Power 5 jobs, and in the past three years, absolutely took them on a ride that got them into, I think, like the top 15 in the final AP poll. They ran the seven-game win streak and beat Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl this year. He's a young-ish coach, 47 years old, and sounds like he's going to bring a handful of his uh, offensive coaches with him. He runs a a fairly dynamic offense. It's certainly modern. It's not an old-school-ish bully ball, Pete Carroll-style, you know, Kirk Ferentz-style offense. So certainly a lot of things to look forward to. But he also represents kind of the similar concerns now that, that I'm sure every fan has sort of in the way that, you know, once burned, twice shy, I guess, with him potentially leaving. He's a he's born in New Jersey, but he graduated from University of Florida. And does he have a wandering eye for the the Florida job or an NFL job? I mean, at this point, given the new world order of college football, I suppose anyone is is gettable these days. And it's only a matter of, you know, how much can you extract out of them to to stay at the school for some winning seasons. But I, I think the Huskies did the best they could, given the conditions. He wasn't my first choice personally, but I I don't think he's bad. And I think, again, it's it's the best out of what you have left. So, well, who was your first choice? I'm, I'm curious. Chris Kleiman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think he he had the 
the staying power, having uh, been a coach at North Dakota State for so long. He had won six F- FCS championships. Kansas State's been been very good the last couple of years. They beat TCU two years ago you know, in the championship game, got themselves into the Sugar Bowl. They got blown out by Alabama. Go figure. But he would have also, I think, represented that kind of you know stable, consistent force and a guy who's coached quite a bit. I was vying for either of the state of Kansas coaches, and then I think like Grubb was like an outside shot. And then you and I were, were messaging each other as as the day went further and further, and the stories just kind of kept going weirder and weirder before Fish had been confirmed. I was I was at that cusp of just saying, screw it, let's let Pete Carroll take over this team and just yeah. see how how 72-year-old Pete Carroll would re-enter college football. Like, I will say, the past 72 hours, I've never done what I call the deep dark web as much as I did for this entire (laughs) coaching search. You know, I'm not a regular Reddit user. I'm a mainstream what say all time say, you know, I'm I'm off Twitter slash X. But there was just something about this chaos that I had to just like go deep into (laughs) message boards. A taste. Um, yeah, yeah, and I can see how the internet is just terrible for, for us sometimes. <laughs> but I love this Jed Fish hire the more and more I look into it. I think the Kansas guys were almost a little too similar to Kalen DeBoer-esque style of coaching, and, and I think just because it's human nature, we're mm-hmm. reactionary to that of, no, we can't repeat the same you know process i think mm-hmm. similar with jimmy lake as you know promoting internally and i think yeah. that's why ryan grubb didn't get that mm-hmm. big shot i do think long term wise i think ryan grubb hopefully will get a shot being a head coach elsewhere and that he can climb the ranks and i would love to have him back you know down the road i i think right now he's going to go over to alabama with kaylin DeBoer. Um, mm-hmm. i think ryan grubb surprisingly not surprisingly i think has come out pretty unscathed in all of this of he wanted to be head coach for UW, and i think that means something to the fan base he tried it didn't work out but he still has a lot of love for the institution you know posting Mm -hmm. something about it saying that he wanted to get it done it didn't work out you know is rare as you mentioned offline i think also people are gonna shower a lot of praise on him in terms of he was a big part of the offense he was the one working so closely closely with michael Penix, you know etc i give him a lot of credit too for saying no to nick saban you know when michael Penix and everyone else was coming back there were rumors that he was you know going to be wooed by some other bigger school a&m to alabama and having nick saban say hey i want you to be my offensive coordinator and ryan grubb saying you know what no thanks i got my boys that i'm gonna go ride with and taking them beyond alabama's offense and taking them to the national title game i think is just sweet sweet redemption and i just think the world of, of ryan grubb in terms of his bluntness his directedness i think it is something that is rare in this chaos of of college football but i think down the road you're going to see ryan grubb always be associated with uw and maybe it works out in the future Mm -hmm. um i think fish for me jed fish has this edginess 
he reminds me very much of Mike McDaniel, the um, Dolphins. Miami Dolphins head coach, and just being kind of this eccentric, quirky, sometimes you know off the beat humor, and is just a little bit more frank than a lot of the coach speaks out there. And I mm-hmm. think it'll be great to see that DNA in the psyche of UW, and and hopefully he can keep this roster together, bring in some talent. He has a lot of momentum here. I think we're hungry to just keep the momentum from this past year and know that it isn't just going to fall on one person. And hopefully Jed Fish has, has some success. And it worked out when we had multiple coaching changes from, you know, Sark to Peterson, you know, with Lake getting hand to, to Kalen DeBoer, the success there. And I think there's so many things that you envision, but so many things are unplanned um, mm-hmm. when it comes to, the you know athletic department and your your team yeah let's talk real quickly i i was listening to the uh, dogman guys talking about potential coaches that might come over with fish and so let's hit some of the big names because it sounds like a number of the offensive coaches are but the defensive guys might not be so offensive coordinator brennan carroll son of pete what one of the sons of pete is coming up i believe and will be you know part of like the four or five people that are coming up. He's offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, which is something that isn't typically normally seen, but I guess now with Frank Rubb has done that before and Sharon Moore out of Michigan, I think they had said on the broadcast has, is kind of the same thing. O-line and OC Jimmy Darty, former, former one time UW uh, yeah. assistant with the wide receivers, I believe. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Throwback to you and I, Victor of our, freshman sophomore years yeah um where we were deep in a knowing assistant coaches from the <laughs> he's actually their currently their passing game coordinator and an and an assistant coach and qb coach so you wonder if they i think they're probably going to keep him in the same slot because i, I their their wide receiver coach kevin cummings is very very good at at you know getting some of the players that they've had obviously Tataria McMillan is just an absolute baller down in Arizona. You wonder if they'll he'll jump with the staff up to Seattle. And then old friend Jordan Powpow, the tight ends coach, who was not retained during the Jimmy Lake transition four years ago. He's probably on his way as well, it sounds like. So it could be kind of a, a sort of homecoming for, for him. And it's funny to think, too, because Powpow is, is the link that blended Sark and Peterson. Yeah. And then, you know, he wasn't retained with Jimmy Lake and then potentially could be coming back. So it's kind of, there could be a missing link there that, that gets uh, reunited. Interestingly now, you know, with a lot of the defensive staff, a couple of those people on the current UA staff are, are notable Arizona guys. And I don't just mean that in terms of like, they went to play for UA, but like, I just, I are like Arizona, like born and bred kind of folks. So uh, Derek, real quickly then, are there any coaches that you feel like Fish should retain from this current staff? And I'm I'm quickly skimming through an article about the coaches that are going with DeBoer. You've already mentioned, you know, Ryan Grubb. It sounds like Jamarcus Shepard as well. Nick Sheridan, the tight ends coach. Let's see, who else do we have here? Scott Huff. Probably Scott Huff. Sounds like Scott Huff might be moving as well down to Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I'm all for a clean break, uh, just completely clean slate. I don't think 
any of the remaining guys besides the the coaches that you listed. And and I think DeBoer's taken their their best in terms of Ryan Grubb, Jamarcus Shepard, mm-hmm. Scott Huff. Unfortunately, I think as valiantly as our defense played, I, I don't think it's worthy to keep them around. I think something I, I was looking forward to hopefully is, is seeing the you know, desert swarm, fast attacking defense that I think Arizona was building towards and, and mm-hmm. just having a little more speed at the linebacker position and, and just getting after it. And I, I, I will just reemphasize, I think just a new breath of fresh air to kind of get guys, unfortunately, having to reset again. I think there's just a lot of trust that's, been broken and, and the betrayal feeling from figures of authority. I think Jed Fisher has his work cut out. And, you know, let's be real and candid about this. So if he had to do the same thing to his Arizona club, Yep. Yep. And he had to have the exact same empty speech about Chat GT. Yeah. I make me a speech uh, about my about me leaving a team. And I just think it is such a domino effect of so many locker rooms, so many groups of guys just being hit with adversity of, do I trust this authority figure? And I think it's unfortunate in that there's so many of these types of dynamics and, and, and I, I just feel for the guys who just want to play football and, and you know, commit to maybe a long-term professional career and mm-hmm. balancing, you know, other obligations of being at an institution and still growing and developing as, you know, barely 18 to 22-year-old kids. And, yeah. you know, I think that was a long way from your, your original question, but I, I do feel like coaches whatever assistant comes through um, Mm -hmm. at all levels offensive defensively they're going to have a lot of work to do to build relationship and and trust yeah because i think a lot of them have been through it two three times over and and it takes a toll yeah he's gonna have to not only get a staff up here build it pretty quickly like you said he's got to basically re-recruit the whole roster because right now the, the roster is just in shambles I mean, so many people declaring for the transfer portal just to keep their options open. And we saw it with DeBoer when he came here. He, you know, he had to re-recruit Roma Dunze. He had to re-recruit Jalen McMillan. He had to get all those guys back on board. You know, Brillen Trice and ZTF, you know, they had thought about leaving. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And this is the new phase in, in college football where, you know, it every every year your team could be different just depending on what happens and how players are feeling. And it's tough to not have that kind of certainty as a coach, as a player, as anyone who wants to be a fan of them. So, Derek, real quick, so you're saying no to everyone, so I'm just going to rattle off a couple names just to make sure you're feeling comfortable with them. <laughs> so you're saying no to William Inge. No, no, I'm okay. sorry. All right. you're, you're, saying, you're saying no to Inoke Brechterfield. No, no, okay. sorry. <laughs> so our D-line, just no. Okay, you're saying no then to Lee Marks. Running backs coach. Nope. Yep. Yep. I am saying no to Lee Marks. You know, it's a good stable, but just need to move on. He's the one guy I could think about potentially offering to stay. Yeah. I mean, he, he does have, I think, a little bit of a 
higher administrative experience expertise in terms of like assistant or associate head coach type, maybe mm-hmm. like head recruiter type. But also, yeah. I, I don't, again, I, I think just getting new, new blood in there. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. All right, last one. You're saying no to Julius Brown. Yep, sorry, Juice. I I would like just whatever DB work in the Arizona mold to replace you. I think just a wholesale, like, I, I wanted a change defensively, even if Kalen DeBoer was coming back, but I yeah. didn't think he was going to do it because I thought he was too loyal, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> look at look at what his loyalty metric looks like now. So um, just just I think a new and and I think that's what Jetfish uh, jumped out to me in terms of having so many stops everywhere. He has a wider network. He probably has a deeper and more established network than Ryan Grubb, obviously mm-hmm. for for the reasons of of just being a head coach before and and making multiple stops. So I I think. Hopefully he can tap into that. I also will recognize that we are pretty late in the game of winter quarter has started for a lot of folks semester. Yeah. Like there's different elements too that I think a, a average fan doesn't think about of like, all right, this person's just going to transfer and uproot their lives to mm-hmm. come to Seattle to play a football game. And that's not really how it works when you're a college athlete. This, yeah. even though it's close to being a pro sport, we're not quite there. Mm-hmm there's a lot more hoops to jump through in college than there is in the NFL. And he's got to start navigating them right away. I, I will say, I thought you were going to take a little more glee into telling stand in Julius Brown that his services were not needed. Yeah. I just feel like that's just punching down, you know? <laughs> yeah. One related note, Jabbar Muhammad, you know, he entered the portal. I think he's mm-hmm. being, had to go to Oregon transferring to Oregon which which is a gut punch but yeah I also am like I get it I think weirdly enough this season and maybe it's because we beat Oregon twice mm-hmm. I have grown in my respect of Dan Lanning and him staying at Oregon and mm-hmm. him building his own brand even though he's a SEC born and bred type um, yeah you know he's young he's 37 sort of epitomizing this young millennial or I guess middle millennial of geriatric millennial. Yeah. Yeah. Of college football and and sort of the future. And as much as I don't like Oregon and want to beat them all the time, I feel like they are crushing it in terms of a, a brand management long-term play here to, to be a a big, big player. And I think Dan Lanning, I'll, I'll give him a lot of credit for establishing that tenor during his short time there yeah i mean dude was on the halftime show and the pregame show of the national championship game he was so good yeah he was like really good on it i was like all right and and a lot of it is yeah they they beat us twice i want to see that mike Penix, you know come out to play so Mm. you know rose-colored glasses there but well this is the new world we're living in i can't believe it's been six days since we we've seen this whole whole thing unfold this is this is the ever going story of of Husky sports and I guess Seattle sports in general. Uh, it's not it's not Seahawks football that that can't be normal and just have a regular thing like Seattle sports. This cannot be regular, but I'm happy to have lived this whole cycle with you. 
and that we've, yeah. we've covered this so 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 astutely from from 2019 till now. I don't know if I would have believed just all of the the roller coaster of emotions that we've gone from from then to now in even just five years. Yeah, right back at you. I think I very much meant my social media posts about the the beautiful arc and journey for us. 15 years, our friendship starting as fans of a winless team but still mm-hmm. showing up believing in the same part of the stadium enjoying ourselves and seeing the iterations of teams in different moments and especially this past year uh, watching so many great games with you and um you know we i really thought we were gonna end it with an exclamation point of a national title victory but victor it was still a fun ride and in a lot of ways, it would have been just such much more heart wrenching if Kalen DeBoer left after a, a national title win, which I yeah. think he, he might have. Yeah, to both. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've done enough talking about his agent, Sexton, too, of being the big puppet master of all of this. I think agents have so much power, they really leverage all of the insecurities of human nature and structural insecurities and finances and <laughs> they're just in, getting what they want you know in this this essay i will um, <laughs> well it's because of them we can't just enjoy good friendship and enjoying our teams you know there's such a money grubbing aspect of it but just like human kind we're all just a contradictory ball of things yeah yeah man i don't even know what jimmy sexton <laughs> looks like and i don't either <laughs> he he's already like i feel like i've gotten to know him on a personal basis and that's not a good thing no i i do want to end on a more hopeful enjoyable <laughs> note though and so i'm sorry i took there you were you were leading me into uh, a, a great time, but I, I do think it is also a funny just journey. I mean, I mentioned 15 years, you know, mm. we were kids enjoying the yeah. sport, and I don't think very many people holistically or take a holistic view of just like this sense of entertainment around our team and yeah. our sport. And I think I, I very much appreciate you victor in terms of your insight and groundedness around so many of these things mixed in with emotions and you know you you and i i I think share that and it's been a joy throughout our friendship and lifetime to just talk about this and i think that's what led us to this podcast yeah um you know i think we're going to continue to talk about it whether we're recording or not but you know i think it's it's something I'm grateful for. Absolutely. I'm very grateful for you, Derek, and for this platform. I mean, who else but us would be giggling at the fact that assistant coach Jimmy Doherty could be coming back to Washington and we're just finding <laughs> so much delight in that. So yeah, the, yeah, the journey. <laughs> that's really what it is. It's it's a deep cut. We're, we're big. We're big University of Washington vinyl fans. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty, folks, we hope you are all staying healthy and staying safe and having a good start to this beginning of the year, if such a thing is uh, possible, if your head isn't just, you know, still spinning after all the news. But it's going to be going to be exciting year, as it always is. 
Uh, stay healthy and stay safe. As always, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>